Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Dave. And we're the hosts of the Chasing Tomorrow podcast, where we bring you stories that delve into the science and spirit behind intriguing people doing extraordinary things. Welcome to the Chasing Tomorrow podcast. I'm going solo this week. Dave's up in Newfoundland getting ready for his big run coming up starting on Sunday. Um, I also made a trek down to Georgia and I'm hooking up with some guys who are going to be out on the Cool Jewel 100 course over the next couple of days. So we thought we would do a live from the race episode. We'll also uh, amend this one with a, a post-race uh, sort of uh, insights and feelings and how we did uh, over 106, 109 miles. We have no idea. 30 some odd thousand feet of elevation gain and uh, a lot of time in the Georgia woods. Anyway, I'm sitting here with Don Reichelt, who's going to be out front running uh, versus me hiking. And then his two amazing pacers, guys who could be out there in front themselves, Shad and Darian. Both guys, uh, I think Shad might even be going to do hard rock later this year. And Darian's putting up some big marathon times. And we're looking forward to his first big 100 one of these days. So welcome, boys. How you all feeling? Good, Joe. Excited to, to, to see you in Georgia, be live with you and these guys. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, for Don, you know, we're, this is like a training run, maybe uh, getting ready for Leadville. Yeah, this is a, for me, this is kind of my, my B early season race for, for Leadville. And um, I'll, I'll throw Darian under that bus too. He's training for Leadville oh, will be right. his, his first yeah. hundred. And so this will be a, um, a good atmosphere to him for him to, to hang out and see uh, this race as well. Yeah, I hope there's going to be a lot of takeaways from getting to join in on the 100 mile crew side and the pacing mm -hmm. side to get to see that side of it because the longest distance I've done is 100k. So I think there's, you know, another couple of levels of planning and everything that go into the 100 mile. Yeah, and uh, we know Shed's done his fair share of hundreds <laughs> before. I don't know, can you count that high? Uh, I've done a, quite a few. I think I started 14. Nice. So far. Nice. Um, I haven't finished all 14. <laughs> I think I'm 10 for 14. 10 for 14. All right. Yeah. Well, anyone who's um, done 100 knows that that's not an unlikely circumstance. Right. And um, it took me three tries before I got my first finish. Let's put it that way. I, mm. I uh, My first finish was at Leadville as well, what these guys are doing. I had uh, DNF Leadville in 2008. I uh, DNF Bighorn in 2009, then I went back to Leadville in 2010, and I was going to do the whole three strikes and you're out rule. Yeah. And I told my wife at the time that, you know, if I didn't finish Leadville that year, I'm done with ultra. Mm. And I ended up finishing Leadville that nice. year. Nice. Ever since. We're glad you did. <laughs> yeah, otherwise. So, so Don, why don't you set the stage a little bit for, you know, the people listening about, you know, sort of how you go about a hundred why you have pacers, how does the crew play into that? Yep. Give everyone sort of just a little bit of a view. Yeah, so so every every race is different, first and foremost, uh, whether it's the length of time on course you're expecting, the time of the start, uh, when you can have pacers, if you can have pacers. So it's it's you take some general principles into the race, but you have to look at the race as a kind of an N of one and look at it. So for this race, it starts at noon on mm. Friday. So that in itself is an unusual element. Yeah. You're starting in the middle of the day on a Friday. Um, and 
I'll be by myself through the rest of the afternoon and then into the first evening a bit um, until I get my first pacer at the turnaround point at mile 50, um, which will be Darien. And, you know, from there, it's, it's, it's really looking at where can crew come? What will you need? The distances between crew stops and the distances between aid stations. So um, being able to say, I estimate it's going to take me an hour and 10 minutes per se between these two crew stops, I'm able to then work backwards and say, how, what do I need for an hour and 10 minutes of running? Um, so I always like to look at hundred plus mile races as just, it's, it's, it's aid station to aid station. Mm-hmm. If I can provide for myself between those two aid stations, I can, I can then do the same. Yep, and, it, and it's fun. not only easier to do that for fueling, it's easier to do that mentally too, mm. because running an hour at a time is a heck of a lot easier than saying I'm, I have 24 hours to go. Right. Yeah. And what is the role of a pacer in your mind? What are they doing for you? They're doing, they're doing a lot. Um, they're, you know, it's, it's, it's a role that is, is kind of unglorified, but it's, it's really the, the, the most important role with the crew because they are making sure I'm staying safe at night. Mm-hmm. Um, Darian is going to be running with me throughout the entire night. And that's usually the point where, you know, you're, you're tired you might not be eating great. And so the role of the pacer is to make sure you're safe. You keep moving. You, at some point, everybody becomes uh, less than motivated to keep moving. And the pacer is kind of your cheerleader. They're your biggest supporter. They are your, you know, they're going to whip you like a donkey when they need to. <laughs> um, and, and realistically, they're just, they're, they're there with your finish in mind. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a really... Um, I don't know, a, a thankless job. And, you know, I can't thank these two guys enough for taking a weekend off of their lives to mm. fly down to Georgia, come join me, run through the night. They don't, they don't get a finisher award. They just, heck, Darian's not even gonna get a run in the daylight. He's gonna, <laughs> yeah. he's not gonna see anything outside of the three feet ahead of his headlight. And um, it's, it's, it's a pretty special job. And it, you know, again, I can't thank these guys enough for joining. Someone once told me that it's like a second runner's brain that goes along, right? That there's these moments that are hard and your judgment might be a little off. I don't know, Shed, you've been on both sides of this. You've run, you've had pacers, you've been a pacer. Like, how do you think about the change being a pacer versus the runner? I actually totally agree with that second mind. I really like the way you worded that. Um, I've always thought that, but I've never been able to put it in words the way you just did. Um, I totally agree. As a runner, you come into an aid station, especially in the middle of the night when you, you know, especially the witching hour around 3 a.m., right? You come in there, you don't know what you need. You're just trying to move forward. And that's your pacer's second brain that says, all right, you need to eat this. How's your stomach feeling? Do you need a jacket? Are you cold? Right. Yada, yada, down the list, uh, whatever the runner list is that they want to make sure they check. And that's a great way of putting it. I totally agree with that, 100%. Yeah, and I think, you know, Darian, you know, I don't know if you've done much pacing before, but, uh, you know, I've found the pacers that I've had in my lifetime you know, there's a bit of a battle that goes on because the runner usually at that moment doesn't feel like eating or doesn't want the jacket. Like <laughs> our judgment is starting to go out the window. And so you have to finesse it, mm-hmm. you know, to get it to where you're really helping protect them, right? Because mm-hmm. they have this ability, but, you know, they're under stress. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on some techniques you're going to try out there in the middle of the night to keep the boy going? <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
one good thing I think that I have since I haven't paced before in a race like this, I've paced marathons, but um, I think Don and I have had a lot of long days on foot already together, mm. just to we get, where we get to the point that, you know, you're both kind of in that cave and, and when you feel that, and so you can, you know, really understand and you're already together feeling that I think you can get some insight into, okay, this is how they're going to react to things because this is how I was reacting to things. And yeah. so Having that insight, I mean, I don't necessarily have any specific strategies other than just kind of making sure to feel the situation, right? You know, the, the ebbs and flows of mood throughout ultras is always going to be different. So 3 a.m. does not always feel like 3 a.m., I'm going to assume. Yeah. Um, just because, again, you know, maybe that's a 15-minute point where for whatever reason, you're feeling good. You hit a high point. So just trying to keep track kind of, of, of the way he's feeling and the way the race has been going to try and play it by feel. Yeah. You know, the other techniques that we've tried, you know, every once in a while is this idea that, you know, how you feel now won't be how you'll feel later. Mm -hmm. And there is a, there's this ebb and flow to like, oh, I feel great. I don't feel good. I feel great. You know, mm -hmm. and so reminding ourselves that, you know, even though you do feel miserable, it will pass. It does. Mm -hmm. We've all gotten through those moments. I think the other thing is um, an agreement before you start. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm going to feed you once an hour, whether you want it or not. <laughs> And so we're not going to negotiate this once an hour thing, Don or Joe or whomever, you know, and so you can remind someone, remember, you agreed to this before, so we're not negotiating mm -hmm. it. And I think usually the runner gives in, right, yeah. Don? Yeah, you, you just trust that whatever they're telling you is for a good reason, mm -hmm. and you don't have to think about it. And a lot of times... 20 hours into a race, you're not thinking about, oh, it's time to eat anyway. So having that person be like, hey, how long? It's been 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. They have a nibble. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times at that point, you can't eat a bar. You just want a nibble or something. And so having somebody that's like, okay, we're going to run for two minutes. Okay, now take a nibble. Yeah. And and they just kind of keep going because it, the hardest part about an ultra at the end of the day is just making sure your calories. I mean, every, every ultra I've ever done, that's probably my biggest struggle is to make sure I'm getting enough calories. I've I tend to lose interest in eating yeah. and it's, it's a battle. They, uh, you, Darian, you'll see it. Shad, you're going to see it. My crew has seen it countless times. Um, it's, it's always a battle for me because I just lose interest in it. You know, you, you listening to you talk about that makes me go back to run rabbit run last year where you were pacing me, right, Don? Yeah. And, and one of the first things I told him when he picked me up, I said, you know what? Just remind me to drink every 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what he did every 15 minutes. He goes, you thirsty? Yeah. <laughs> yes or no? If I was, then I take a drink. Otherwise, I would have forgotten that drink all night long. Yeah, and it's and I think I think we were going with like cliff blocks or something. And after yeah. like every five minutes or something, I'd be like, Hey, have you finished that last cliff, last cliff yeah. block? You weren't eating them very fast, but right. you were putting them in your mouth yeah. and kind of letting them dissolve. And as soon as I wanted to make sure, as soon as that cliff block was gone, there was another one there, right. and it wasn't you weren't getting a ton of calories, but you were constantly getting calories, something, yeah. which is all that really matters at the end of the day. You know, and another rule I have with my pacers, it's kind of like going to Vegas, right? Where stays in Vegas, stays. <laughs> what happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas. Yeah, Until yeah, you put yeah. on a podcast. stays on the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because sometimes, sure. you know, the runner's not in the best of moods. So no. <laughs> <laughs> something else to keep in mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, oh. it's I think... I mean, this isn't a secret, but I, every race, I'm like, why do I do this? Like, mm -hmm. why, why am I continuing mm -hmm. to do this? This, this is stupid. I'm, I'm, I'm going to focus on 50 Ks mm -hmm. and then, you know, the next day it's, I can't wait to sign up for the next hundred right. plus mile race. Mm -hmm. Uh, you just can't, whatever, whatever your runner says or 
you just have to just take it, listen. And if it's negative, that's my biggest thing is, is I, I want my pacers to ask me questions that I can only answer in the positive. Yeah. <laughs> so one of those, instead of, instead of something like, how are you feeling? Ask yeah. me, Hey, like what's the best moment of the past hour mm -hmm. so darian when i see you like, don't ask me how i'm feeling ask me like what's 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 the highlight of my first 50 miles because mm -hmm. i have to answer that positively i have to mm -hmm. stop and think what is something good that has happened to me and no matter my headspace i'm going to be in a better headspace after answering that question and find a good place yeah so another one of the dynamics so you got these two pretty stout guys out there with you and of course you're a very good runner yourself but they're going to be fresh Yep. and you're not by the time you <laughs> see them so how do you guys balance the pacing like because we're called pacers but you know pace could someone could push you too fast too hard and like so how do you guys balance through that i mean it's 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 kind of a joke in ultra running is that you get all amped up to pace and then you walk out of the exit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's 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 very anticlimactic to start running mm -hmm. with a pacer. So I I mean I both of these guys know me well. I'm, they're gonna they're gonna be able to see my comfort level and then go set their cruise control just a little bit above it. Mm -hmm. And so I have to push myself. And you know I'll be curious. To, to hear their thoughts on maintaining that throughout. But realistically, it's just knowing that, you know, it's not the gun of a 5K. You're not, mm. you're not going out. Sure. At, it's, it's most likely going to be walking out of the first aid station together. So, yeah, and it comes down to, you know, like knowing your runner as well and knowing when and when not to push them a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the perfect example is Badwater, where mm -hmm. I was chasing Don, and we had 13 miles to go up to the Mount Whitney portal, where we thought somebody was catching us. So we only had 13 miles left to go. So yeah, when he made the donkey reference earlier, it's because I was whipping him like a donkey yeah. at that mountain. <laughs> yeah. He... And it's just a matter of being able to gauge the not only how the runner's feeling, but also your race environment, what your runner's goals are. Yeah. If they're runner, you know, there's totally different goals between finishing top three versus finishing, right? Yeah. So it's being able to balance it all mm. and trying to figure mm. out and make the and, runner can get what they want out of the race. And I think, I think, you know, Shad, Shad's going to run the last 50K with me this weekend. I think he knows if it comes down to the end and I'm in contention, mm -hmm. I would rather him push me to the brink. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't quite like I, I fold five miles to go, but I went for it versus, yeah. hey, you're going a little too fast. Let's make sure you finish. Mm -hmm. Like that's, yeah. that's just knowing your pacer and having your pacer know kind of what your goal is like where that line is to maybe push a little bit extra knowing that like, yeah, I mean, it's in, in like in NASCAR when hey, there's 10 laps to go and we think you have nine and a half laps of fuel in the tank. Like, do we stop mm -hmm. and lose the win or do we just see if you run out of gas? Um, and so I would much rather at the end, if, if we're in contention, somebody that's willing to see if I run out of gas or not, but go for the win or go for the podium versus somebody that's like, Hey, let's be safe. Like, let's, mm -hmm. let's back off, let people pass you. No, yeah. that's, that's not what we're here for. Yeah. And I think a big thing, whoever said it was the environment of the race, right? That's such a big thing. And, and Joe mentioned it when he was talking about the race initially, but I think for a lot of people too, it's very hard to contextualize, especially if you don't live by mountains, mm -hmm. what vertical gain and loss is. So when I was trying to explain this race to someone the other day, I broke it down to flights of steps. So if you imagine that it's 10 feet per flight of stairs, mm -hmm. it's 3.3 thousand roughly, give or take again, 
flights of steps. And so with a race like this, it's very different than if you were pacing someone at a flat hundred miler, yeah, even, yeah. right? And so as a runner, you, you tend to get a good fitness level gauge on other people that you run with. And I do think that having run with people in the past makes a massive difference because mm. you know their climbing skills. I know, for example, if I went out with Shad and we're starting on an uphill, I'm going to be struggling to keep up. I do really well on downhills, but if I get on an uphill with him, I'm going to struggle. And so like knowing Don personally and yeah. kind of how he operates on different terrain at different speeds, I think that's a big piece of it. Yeah, no, I think those are, so these are really good, you know, pieces of advice and then the race happens and all gets thrown like into a washing machine you know yeah i think the the famous mike tyson quote that everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth yeah it's never more true than ultra running and we we all have a plan this weekend i have a plan for when darian's gonna pick me up and rough estimate until chad's gonna pick me up but the reality is is nobody knows especially 100 and six plus miles 33,000 feet of climbing it could be raining all weekend there's so it's many variables yeah. the course is going to hit you in the mouth at some point mm. um it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when and it's just a matter of you know hoping that you can adapt and move and you have people in your corner that can help you do that yeah and you know so the other like dynamic of course is this you know well there's sometimes where i just don't want to hear from anyone you know so stop talking to me, friend Pacer. Uh, do you, Don, ever get into that way? You're just like, you know, you really just like, I'm, I've had enough of. I have never felt that. <clears throat> I have gotten to a point where I don't want to talk, <clears throat> but I want, I expect my Pacer to fill that listen. space. <laughs> yeah. like I, so I will, Darren, you've never paced me. I will ask you open-ended questions, mm-hmm. like very open-ended. Mm. Tell me about your first girlfriend like just random (laughs) stories that you have to just tell me some Mm -hmm. long-winded story and i'll just i I probably will digest maybe 10 percent of it but it's somebody (laughs) next to me talking yeah and i don't have to worry about anything else so that's that's usually my strategy when i kind of get to that point i still want to hear from you i just don't want to talk i go back and forth on that i've actually have asked patients to quit talking yeah (laughs) um and I've even like when I ran the Hurt 100 one year, I was coming in there and I sat in the main station and I wear a hearing aid, right? Mm. So I sat in the main station, a, a volunteer came over and dumped a bucket over my head <laughs> and washed out my hearing without asking me if he thought I was hot. Yeah. And washed out my hearing aid. So it didn't work for the 12 hour night because it was, you know, I heard 100 in January is the nights are 12 hours. Yeah. So my poor pacer, he, he couldn't talk to me for the whole night. <laughs> <laughs> and he said it was the longest night of his life oh so yeah i've done both but i've mm. also asked pacers that too and you know i've had don pace me and that's what he'll do when he paces me is like he'll just talk yeah and i don't respond mm. and, right. and, and i love that it's yeah. like listening to, it's like listening to podcasts yeah, for yeah. example mm-hmm. you know it's just that you're you're able to interact with that podcast yeah you know having a pacer that's and and the content the generally is meaningless yeah i guess i'm not going to care about your first car or girlfriend or you know tell me about your freshman year in college mm-hmm. like this is something crazy you did i'm, I'm never going to probably remember that or mm-hmm. care but it's just content it just yeah. fills up your your brain versus because it's at that point in the race you want to think about anything but I have another 30 miles to go and yeah it is pouring rain and it's a long way to go yeah I'd much Mm -hmm. rather think about whatever happens in rural Nebraska with Darian (laughs) 
<laughs> I've heard stories. I want more. <laughs> we got them. We got them ready for tomorrow. <laughs> so, you know, when you're going along and, and there's aid stations, again, back for some of the people listening who have never done ways before, you have aid stations. And do you sit down at all? Do you take a couple minute break at these places so that you can sort of, you know, break the monotony of going? I certainly try not to. Mm -hmm. um, it's It's always an option, but the further on the race you get, the harder it is to get out of that chair. Mm -hmm. And so even if I'm going to stop and refuel and take a couple minutes, I do my best not to sit down. Uh, if I'm changing shoes or mm -hmm. whatever, but, and, and if the, there's more people around or my cr actual crew, you know, not just the pacers there, I might sit down and have a bite and get back up. Cause there's a bunch of people that are yelling at you that, you know, they're, they're they, they get kind of mean if you try to get comfortable, which they should, um, <laughs> um, they, but out on the course in the middle of the night, especially the last thing you want to do is stop. Yeah. Like you're going to get cold. You're going to tighten up. There's nothing ever in an ultra good that happens in a chair. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's really, really wicked bad, and then you have to take a break for something. If you have to, yeah. yes. But, but again, but that right. was something bad that happened that puts you in a chair. That that's right. Yeah, not just taking a break. Here. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's interesting. And so this course, because uh, again, back to Darian's point, I don't think people fully understand what 33,000 feet of elevation gain across 100 miles really means it's up 33,000 feet in 50 miles yeah right it's your, you know and then it's and down then down also for, that, for the other 66,000 feet of mm -hmm. elevation change yeah over 100. Mm -hmm. so that's a lot of up and down so do you have a strategy for how to because it's not a lot like a lot of flat running so it's up it's or not, down are you gonna yep. run downhill hike uphill what's yeah your strategy? I, I i've been working tirelessly to get better at running uphill mm -hmm. um not because i intend to run all of the uphills but because i want to run more of the lesser inclined uphills yeah. if you will any as much as i can run on this course is going to be an advantage at some point everybody's hiking yeah. there's just no way around it once you get the 40 percent grade you know there's not a person on the world that's going to be competitively running up that so I run when i can hike when i have to and then be cautious on the downhills i think a course like this everybody thinks of the downhills as free speed mm. um but realistically you can blow out your quads really easily running hard downhill. Yeah. And if I get to mile 50 and I've pounded downhills and I have no quad strength left, mm. how am I going to get back? Right. Um, so one of the advantages of this race is that you can use trekking poles. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's something that will be a huge advantage to me, both uphill and downhill, uh, just to kind of take some of that burden off of my, my quads and my yeah. knees, um, use some of the upper body strength that I have and, uh, really ensure that I can get across the full course without uh, my quads giving out. Yeah, no, I think that those poles, you know, I've always had this joke in my head, which is why does a deer not fall in the woods? You know, when they make these crazy jumps and they just sort of like, they've never seen the fall. And then you have poles and like, when you have four points of contact, you're like, oh, that's why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The balance system is so completely different mm -hmm. than trying to have two. And so even if you then trip a little bit, that pole, even on the way down, you know, having them at the ready will stop a fall that otherwise you're in the dirt. And so, yeah, it is a good advantage, even carrying that little bit of extra weight with you. Yep. So I'm going to, I'm going to turn, turn this podcast and, and ask you a question, Joe. Mm. <laughs> um, sure. 
so Joe is doing this solo without crew. Yeah. Um, you've done many races crewed, some without. Mm-hmm. How how does your mindset as as a runner change knowing that you don't have a crew and you don't have a pacer? Yeah. So I think that the there's a the, probably not that I'm ever in the category of trying to win anything anymore. So that's sort of like that makes it a little easier. I think the biggest uh sort of lesson I've learned is that you have to actually just keep a much more even keel throughout. Like, don't try and go hard and easy. Just try and be steady. Because really, at the end of the day, I have the physical ability to get across it. But if I overcook your quads or I try to, like, you know, in the first 20 miles, I probably can feel pretty good. But this is 106 miles. I don't need to go fast in the first 20. I just need to be really, like, I will find if I have a good day that there'll be a lot of people in front of me who I will pass if I stay slow mm-hmm. and steady and so for me then then that protects me from a lot of the risks that could come where a pacer would help you you know stay on track I mean it's not impossible Don to like walk off a trail in the middle of the night by yourself I mean this mm-hmm. is like we've all had that sort of like all of a sudden you know you feel this weird feeling under your feet you're like why am I feel like I'm falling and because you're falling asleep or you're just distracted. So I think that's a really important one. A change that I made that really helped me, um, funny enough, being by myself helps, but is I have a waist light instead of a headlamp. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I don't get as dizzy now because the headlamp for me created a lot of dizziness. And so if you have someone with you, they can always sort of give you a little bit of a push and get you back on track. But when you're by yourself, you really have to stay uh, in line. And then, you know, I will actually use the aid stations as my crew. Like, so every time I go there, I'll try and engage with some people. I'll talk to them for a little while. That'll be my break of sorts to try and have. So I have a bunch of techniques to use. Um, And then, you know, I've done a lot of stuff out by myself. I haven't done, you know, the Appalachian Trail or, you know, PCT, but uh, I certainly spent nights and days out there. And just getting used to, like before I said this thing about, you know, you, um, you know, you're going to feel bad and then you're going to feel good. When I feel bad, I just talk to myself. Okay, you just really do feel bad now. It's okay. Like just that's what you're like here for in a way. And then, you know, I was making you guys laugh before. Like my savior is that Monday is going to come and <laughs> yeah. I will soon be back at regular life on Monday. And, and it's a bit of a privilege to get to spend this time out in the woods and, you know, experience that. So I, it's more fun. Honestly, it's way more fun to have pacers with you. I mean, yeah. let's be honest. So it's just cool. I like the company and all that, but every once in a while, it's good to do this to yourself and just sort of like, you know, let's see how well we do. Right. You know, because, uh, that this whole journey that lots of us are on is about self-discovery yep. and there are different ways we go about that and, and none of us really seek comfort yep. you know we appreciate it but see discomfort helps us grow and i i appreciate and enjoy that so i'm gonna have some fun i'm just yeah. really literally gonna go have a good time i think something you said i want to i want to rewind just a little bit on what you said and you brought up the aid stations just just mm. briefly and i think it's really important that um, those are, those are volunteers as well, but they, they're usually people that understand what you're doing yeah. and they, for the 
moment of your life that you intersect with the moment of their life, they're your biggest fans. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the coolest feelings to go into an aid station. And I don't care if you're the first person there or the last person there, they give you the same treatment. Mm -hmm. They like, they take care of you. They cheer for you. And, um, I, I, the one principle that I always have any race I ever do is I will thank anybody I interact yeah. with mm -hmm. at an aid station, mm -hmm. um, because that job is hard. Um, and like, I will, I expect my crew and my pacers, like if you see garbage on the ground, you pick mm -hmm. it up, uh, you take care of that aid station, you take care of that trail because it's, it's, a, it's, it's special to be where we are and the people that you see at those aid stations and the, the start finish line are, are the people that help make this a reality for all of us. I'm sure we all have stories of sort of trail angels who have, yeah. you know, in one way or another done something very special for us. Um, and, and I think that's, a, I, which also is why we should be out doing some of that ourselves yeah. too, pacing, crewing, volunteering, giving back because it's, who wants to stand out in the middle of the night when, you know, mm -hmm. there's nowhere really that it's ever warm in the middle of the night, yes. you know, maybe on the equator, but <laughs> it's pretty tough to be out there. Shad, you recently hosted an aid station oh, at yeah. a race. What, how, how cold was that? Uh, when I got there at 3.30 a.m., it was minus 25 degrees. No! <laughs> I was, Ouch! It was me all by myself. Where was <laughs> this? Uh, right outside of Bagley, Colorado. Nice. At wow. That, is it Sutton? Did I say it? Stoughton State Park. Yeah, mm -hmm. Stoughton State Park. Um, it was the Supper Better Upper Air Ultra, where it was like a seven-mile lap, and they, they ran it for 24 hours or, wow. you know, whatever. They had a 12-hour, 24-hour, six-hour. Yeah, I was up there when I got there at 3.30 in the morning. They started the day before, and I stayed there for nine hours. Woo. I think the, the warmest they got was 20 degrees. Oh, <laughs> well. Wow. <laughs> it was minus 20 without the wind chill when they got there. So, yeah, it was nice and chilly. I'm sure people were happy to see you when they came yeah, by. Yeah, I ran it all by myself. Nobody else showed up. <laughs> <laughs> and the water was frozen, so there was no water. Oh, uh, but it was only a seven-mile loop, so they, they were able to refill, you know, yeah. at the start-finish and come back. Mm -hmm. There's just nothing in the middle of the course, but mm -hmm. not much you can do about that. No. No, and I think that, that that's, I think what we would all say is special about ultra running, which is that we're all, you know, there for each other, for each other's experience, for you know, sort of giving back and participating at the same time all the time. You know, we remember the interview we had with Courtney years ago. Um, you know, she was running one of her first runners and someone fell and she went back and helped pick them up. You know, like there's no one who will ever leave, a, you know, a, a fallen person down on the trail. And I think that's also, also awesome. Well, as we start to wrap up, I mean, maybe... Uh, you know, we'll, we'll end sort of with, you know, one sort of question here, which is, you know, as you, you know, you start out, right. Um, tell just how you think this will evolve, you know, what's the race feel like, you know, in your mind and how the plan goes on. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm approaching this mentally a little different than I have some other races and that like, I, I haven't focused on results. I haven't focused on challenges. I've this past training block i've gone off strava i've stopped mm. um i've stopped digging in I've, I've gone out and run for joy and and gotten the the passion and the like the fun back in my training nice. 
um, which which kind of honestly left a little bit last year, and and I'm I'm working on getting that back. And and so for me, this weekend is a celebration of kind of the mindset shift that I've gone mm. through recently. Um, it's it's a it's a celebration of the reason I got into ultra running for the, the in the the beginning, and that's just to get outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. Um, my comfort zone lately has been fast and flat ultras yeah uh which i've done pretty well at and this is about as far <laughs> opposite of that as you can get um so it's a reminder to myself that i got into ultra running because i liked exploring my physical boundaries and so i'm i'm getting myself even further out and all that together i i'm in really good shape i feel really fit i have an amazing team around me uh, my in-laws are here as my crew i have these two incredible pacers um, I, I'm going to have a, a happy, amazing day, mm. whether that means I come out on the podium or I finish closer to you. <laughs> with you. Wouldn't that be um, fun? <laughs> it doesn't matter. And that's, I think the cool spot that I've gotten to in my running is, is this race specifically is more than just the results. That's great. Chad, any thoughts going in? I'm just out here, had a great time and do some extra hard rock training with Don. Yeah, so it's pretty good. Well, I'm here for. <laughs> you're at hard rock coming up soon, right? It is. I have an app on my phone, which is probably not a good thing where it tells me how many days. <laughs> I think we're at 67 days right now. All right. I looked at it so, a couple days ago. I think it's 67 or 66 days to hard rock right now. Shad so. is, Shad's pacing me for 31 miles <laughs> this weekend, and I'm returning the favor and doing 31 miles with oh, Shad at hard rock. And he gets to go over handy. So yeah. He gets about the 14 pounds. I get, I, get the, <laughs> I get the high point. Darian, mm -hmm. yeah. thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what Don said about pushing both physical and, and mental discomfort, I think that's, you know, one thing that I'm looking forward to. I, I've never, I've done a lot of really long runs, done a lot of fast runs. I've never run from 10 a.m. to 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning, whatever it ends up being. So I think that'll be, you know, a unique challenge. But um, this weekend feels different in pacing uh, for a race like this because, you're not thinking about how you're going to be going out there and feeling you're kind of just strategizing about how you can assist, which is a completely different thing. And I think it's fun and I'm excited to see how things go. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to be beautiful. I, since this crew here is, you know, pretty much about some of the best people I know in this sport, I've have, I have this thesis of what are the four hardest ultra races in the U S hard rock, Barclays, bad water, cruel jewel. Yeah, I think I you can throw. Want to put hurt in I was going to say, I, think, <laughs> hurt, I would hurt, say five. Hurt, hurt yeah. 100 would be up there too. But those yeah. are like, and so, yeah. so Don's going to be on uh, three of them now. And so uh, we're going to a couple more to go here. Yeah, we're going to keep, um, keep them going, right? Let's go pick these hard ones out. I'm going to get that whole list taken care of. Hey, everyone, we're going to be uh, catching up with Dave next week. He's setting out to break the record running across Canada. That's going to be incredible. We'll get to hear from him every week, see how he's feeling. Um, I think he's ready to rock and roll. I'll be out there crewing with him in June. Seems hard to imagine he'll still be going then. Uh, but we'll have episode number 100 right from the road, which will be one of the coolest things we've done. So thanks for coming with the journey with us, and we'll see you guys soon.